our mission is to get rid of modules in Angular. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I am uh, pretty tired of them. Welcome to the Angularlicious podcast. Angularlicious. And now your host, Matt Vaughn. All right. Uh, so we're once again here with Lars Brink Nielsen, and we're going to continue the discussion on getting rid of Angular modules. And maybe it's a module free lifestyle that we're going to talk about and see. Uh, what are the viable options and what does it really mean when we say let's get rid of angular modules so once again let's introduce our guest lars how you doing hey matt thank you for having me uh i'm uh, i'm working as a consultant for a danish company called systemate and uh, i've seen many different angular projects through my work at different companies and uh, <laughs> you you hit the, the nail on the head it's about going uh module free and it's uh, how, how do you say that it's like lifting a weight off your shoulders believe me yeah <laughs> so it sounds like uh, doing some of these things actually simplify our approach to building angular applications i would say so and that it is a big problem for newcomers to angular that what are these modules all about why do we need them it's it's not easy to figure out takes a while to get used to them even and even when you 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 start to to understand what they're actually doing like still it's uh, you have to ask yourself why do we need those and like we discussed last time it, well it's for the compiler okay yeah and uh, we also uh, introduced the topic of scam and uh I don't know, what was the uh, result of the uh, little intro video and in introducing you as the original scam artist? Uh, did you get any feedback over the last week or so? <laughs> um, well, let's just uh, say again that, yes, I am the world's biggest scam artist, oh, okay. at least when it comes to <laughs> Angular. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll join you in that if, if there's room. <laughs> nice, you can join the club. All right. Uh, well, first of all, uh, you also mentioned in, in a small kind of, uh, how, what do you call that, a small section in, in your last episode, uh, you mentioned your new book. Can I just ask you, uh, how far is that in the process now? Is it uh, done? Yeah, or so it's kind, of, it's kind of in the holding pattern at, at like 90%. And uh, what I have left uh, is uh, a chapter on... Uh, going end-to-end -end with uh, an application uh, that shows uh, kind of from component all the way down to the database through a web API and demonstrating a reactive uh, architecture, meaning that uh, it's very, uh, it's using RxJS, um, the observables, and what I mean by reactive, even from the database, um, if a change is made at the, at the data level, uh, that event is bubbled up to the component. So if a new item is added or a title of a uh, video course is modified, that new change or that change is, is just uh, pushed as a new event in the data stream. And so uh, I want to do that. So I've, I've been uh, working with that kind of uh, architecture, that kind of uh, uh, pattern and structure. And in addition to that, one of the other things that I wanted to demonstrate was the implementation of clean architecture. So clean architecture has been around for um, many years, maybe even over a decade or more. And 
The patterns are really just basically creating a layered architecture and defining what those boundaries are between those layers and basically uh, enforcing those and making sure that you have good separation of concerns, uh, uh, single responsibility, and uh, just like the article that uh, came out on in depth this last week talking about the um, the new uh, uh, oh you called it uh, what was the new pattern for the um, feature libraries the composite yeah the uh, composite, shell library composite shell library so basically utilizing uh, some of those techniques as well to basically create these feature libraries in these domain service libraries in this architecture so that it's very well structured in terms of where things are implemented and what layer does what so um, that's that's really what's left um, I've done several applications using this uh, this uh, pattern and uh, this uh, architecture um, I've uh, talked on this topic uh, a couple times at different conferences so I think I have enough of detail right now and I think um, that's all that's really left is to finish out that chapter and to really kind of demonstrate end-to-end -end what that looks like and I think that'll that'll end it and uh, I'll be able to move on to other exciting things. Yeah, and I mean, we could do a whole show just about this but let's not get sidetracked side too much right. uh, except uh, yeah I love push-based architectures I mean if bandwidth is not a concern, you can do web sockets and push-based, subscribe all the way from the browser up to the some kind of message broker, which is heavily utilized by larger systems today uh, with, with a lot of cloud-based solutions, especially. Uh, so yeah, I'm definitely for that. And other than that, I can tell the listeners that I have been reading your books a couple of times through different iterations. And what I like about your book is that well, I, I very much enjoyed the first few chapters that were more like soft reading because there was not a lot of implementation or technical jargon, uh, what do you say, jargon, uh, like uh, technical terms or anything about that. It was more about a more of a philosophical uh, discussion yeah. about architecture. I really I enjoyed those chapters. Ah. But what I, I, I enjoyed the most about your book is that you go into you, you you show and you tell right you give us the implementation examples with code that's uh, kind of a few principles I have uh, I try to have with my own material that I will try to speak to all types of learners like I will make sure there or try to make sure there's something for like the theoretical the abstract stuff you know but also simple code examples that everyone can can understand because some people just think in code and then finally i also try to include some visuals but that's usually the hard part but you also have a few of those in your book yeah they they definitely be, need to be updated a little bit and um, i'm going to hire a, a graphic artist actually to uh, design some of those so um, the completed book will have uh, better graphics and such I do a lot of uh, I have I have no I'm notebook crazy uh, pencil and paper pen and paper is really my medium uh, for really kind of uh, putting things down in terms of the thought process and how I organize things and um, abstract things and, uh, and such so um, I usually have a ream of empty or blank sheets of paper on my desk at work and I uh, I do that 
throughout the entire day and I save every sheet and I just put it in a pile when it's done and if I need to go back it's it's kind of in uh, chronological order but, uh, yeah nice. thank you very much for uh, those kind comments um, and uh, yeah oh. the first few chapters are really meant for um, kind of setting up uh, some reasons why you want to consider really any architecture so um, there's so many different architectures and really the emphasis is establish one for your team um, make sure it's consistent maintainable make sure it's following these good practices and principles and if you follow the principles you can be very flexible and come up with something that's going to work uh, for the specific app that you're working on so um, yes so definitely that's kind of what those are those chapters are about yeah so you you actually offer different types of architecture that's a good thing I mean you it's rare that you have a silver bullet that's the right fit for every situation so you offer at least four different approaches to angular architecture based on what's the purpose the lifetime the investment now the investment in the future to your app right, right. yeah and I think I think these architectures evolve over time so if you started with angular back in 2016 or 2017 um, maybe we weren't really ready for some of these things that we're talking about today uh, and I think now with like for example library projects um, before version 6 of angular there was a whole different way of doing it you still had the capability but now it's so much easier and it really kind of opens up uh, these opportunities and uh, it's kind of uh, kind of dovetails what we're going to go into next talking about um, your topics so we have library projects uh, which are modules uh, but we could actually create library projects without ng modules and so let's kind of jump in to finish up what we talked about last uh, in the last episode about uh, why um, uh, some good points of getting rid of them and, and what are some um, major pain points of going module free and what are these viable options so I think you have you have the bullet list uh, I'd love to hear kind of what your thoughts are on that and jump right in yes so it's a piece of work I started back in uh, December of 2018 because I kept hearing about optional ng modules optional ng modules but on a theoretical level like yeah, we will get them maybe sometime. They're kind of there in some places, but they're not. So I was like, okay, but how do you do it? Like, okay, so we can do optional NG modules? How? Show me, right? But no one was showing it. It was only telling about it. And I'm just, yeah, I wanted to get my own hands dirty and I was getting <laughs> pretty sick of waiting around for Ivy. So I, I got in touch with a few experts that, uh, uh, showed me the way of setting up an Ivy repo back back then and in a very early version of Angular actually. So uh, last time we discussed uh, the kind of the main, one of the very main uh, use cases of modules which are uh, this compilation uh, scope for the compilation context when we are building our components. That was one of the reasons for reintroducing the modules uh, in Angular version 2.0 and the Release, release candidate uh, number five. Uh, another reason was uh, for providers. You remember back before version six, we didn't have what we now call the tree shake of providers. So every provider was, was either in a component, in the component level, but that was not really used uh, very widespread 
uh, back then, even though that's another very important technique. But um, so most of our providers back then, our services and other class-based services and other kinds of uh, dependencies, they were provided in the Angular modules. And then that brings a whole world of pain on, on its own uh, with, with the modules. But before that, in the release candidate four and back to version zero and the beta and so on of Angular 2, it was only, uh, I, I believe it, it was only possible to make providers on the component level or, or something like that. So it was to make it easier uh, uh, to, to not do any errors uh, when it came to set, configuring the injectors for your application. But it ended up uh, making it pretty easy still to make uh, these uh, dumb errors that we can all <laughs> do by accident if we're not uh, very well aware of how, how this whole injector configuration works. They are still improving it uh, now with version 9. We just got two new kinds of uh, shorthands for providing our services, which was the any keyword for provided in and the platform uh, keyword for, for provided in. There are already a few articles out there on this this topic, uh, for example, on in-depth.dev. Uh, so go go look that up. Those are some pretty neat tools. The first ones we got, of course, was the provided in root uh, shorthand. Um, then we got the tree shakeable providers for injectors uh, or sorry the injection tokens as well which used to be opaque tokens back in the day in the early versions uh, so modules are also very much about the injectors there's one injector per kind of per bundle right there's one for the main one and it is itself a child of parent injectors there's a it turns out there's a common injector for what angular calls the platform there's a browser platform, every bootstrapped application has a platform injector uh, uh, as apparent in the hierarchy of, of injectors. So There's even an injector layer between them, uh, which has the ng zone and a few other things. Okay, so um, now maybe I need, I need to read this in-depth article, um, but is the platform injector really the, the, the highest level um, injector within the, the application in terms of global or the scope? of uh, your providers yes so this new platform uh, keyword for provided in it uh, makes it possible to easily share services between multiple applications that are bootstrapped on the same page which is not very common either i believe i talked a bit about that last time as well but right that's pretty sweet so we're approaching kind of a new era of uh, these micro micro applications uh, micro, yes. micro front ends. I mean, there's different terms for it. Uh, yes. So, so this this platform injector would be able to make what you provide available to multiple applications. Yes, that's very nice. And indeed, it's it's very useful for these micro front end inspired uh, setups that I believe we will be seeing a lot more too these these coming years. Yes. And then there is this any provider. Uh, well. It makes sure that there's an instance per injector. So there's one for every or every eagerly loaded module will share the same instance of this service. Every lazy loaded module and all its uh, uh, transitive imported modules will share another instance. 
So I haven't really seen a good use case for that yet. Uh, except I think uh, Santosh uh, Yadav uh, from indev.dev uh, wrote an article about it and published it on indev.dev. And he came up with a pretty good example. I just can't remember what it was <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, but there, there are use cases out there and let's find some more. I would, it's, I would think one, nice. one would be, uh, for example, I create these domain service um, libraries. And within the library, I'll have other services to do things like uh, the business logic layer and HTTP uh, repository implementation for API requests and such. And those are two services that I want scoped internally to that library, to that module that's lazy loaded into the application. So I don't want those two um, providers uh, scoped outside of that. Um, so I think that would be a good example or a, a good mechanism but with, to, to with, with the any with this any provider there will uh, other modules will be able to request that service as well and even the main bundle it'll just create a separate instance okay so, so is that what you want uh no this one would be unique to the specific domain service so just yes. want, want it available there so i see what you're saying we have we have a kind of a general purpose provider but then each lazy loaded uh, module then would have its own instance of that. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So yes. So a, a non-candidate would be like configuration information, or a login provider, things like that. But uh, yeah. I believe the example in the article was something along along those lines about configuring some logging or something like that. So maybe you can do it for you can use it for uh, interceptors or something specific to a. A feature in your application anyways uh, that's just uh, saying that modules are very much about injectors as well but as we have been seeing ever since version 6 it's actually easier to do it through the, the tree shakeable providers which are configured directly on the services themselves or on injection tokens so you can get pretty far with that and not very rarely touch modules for configuring the injector. There are a few use cases out there still where modules are currently the best way to to set up the injector. That's when you have this for root and for feature or for root and for child pattern. Um, uh, because that, you know, it's not used a lot any, anymore, um, but it's still used in the router module. It's still used in the store module for NGRX. Uh, another example is this uh, multi-providers. I, I don't really know if you can even do that without uh, modules. Well, you would have to create your own injector, which is what we will be discussing about today. Okay, so injectors we've talked a bit about that there are some other um uh, what, how do you say that there are some other concerns of the modules that uh, i started looking into because i really want to make applications without any modules so what else the compilation we can do that kind of and a lot of people are working on this with for the purpose of small angular elements bundles or small micro front ends or whatever um so the injectors and then comes routing and that was a big pain for me for a while until uh, i think a month ago or so um, 
another author from in-depth was um, he's called Nikita something from Belarus he asked me about well how could we do routing without modules and that had I, I had been thinking a little about it for a while but then never went back and and finished uh, that thought uh, but he triggered that <laughs> he he reawakened that thought uh, within me and so I thought about it for an hour or so and then I got the answer and I I posted it on Twitter it's actually possible to do lazy loaded routes without modules but using the router and not using any special hacks I mean I think I, what I did was I made one component which was kind of a placeholder until you had the lazy loaded component uh, actually loaded so once you had that lazy load component it would replace uh, the placeholder components um, position in your routing config i don't know if, how deep you've gone with the router which is very flexible but the router has this method called reset config and in there you can basically replace the, the entire route setup at runtime which is pretty sweet wow. that's what i did here so, so in, initially there will be lazy route a and it'll have the component lazy placeholder component or whatever i call it and then when you activate that route the lazy placeholder component knows that it's not supposed to be the final component for that route so that'll trigger the lazy loading of the actual component uh, which could be based on the, the route or it could be based on some other route data uh, which was referring to the path or maybe it was a callback function to lazy loading the, the components uh, ECMAScript module itself. I made some convention thing, so it was based on the route and there was a folder called lazy or something like that, but you can do it in many ways. It was just a proof of concept and I was very happy with how that turned out. Nice. So that, just hearing you talk about that, it uh, would seem some, uh, uh, to apply that to different things so would, would that be applicable to micro front ends and loading even a non-angular application that way would that be possible uh, no not not using the router itself that would be pretty difficult i mean you still have to to place a component uh, in there okay. some angular component but you can do it without the angular module which is the the new thing here because okay. usually with that you know that load children thing with the routes you have to point it to an angular module but now with this new technique you don't i mean people have been trying been playing around with this idea of lazy loading components with with ivy um but it's really pretty useless un unless you solve some of these, these other problems that we are discussing now. Uh, so on its own, it's not very helpful. You have to be able to compile those lazy loaded components. You have to be able to have injectors uh, and, and so on and change detection, all that good stuff. So yeah, the, solving the, the, the routed comp lazy loaded components without modules, that was very big, uh, big uh, step, if I say so myself. <laughs> yeah. So, what what would be some benefits of, of doing it that way? It was actually one of my biggest worries that we would have to hack around with the routing ourselves. Okay. It turned out it could be done pretty easily. 
uh, I had some previous experience with uh, adding routes and runtimes to to make some very to make it a framework that could be used with uh, multiple clients and could be set up by configuration after deploy time, right? So you had some kind of server configuration for the routes. It would uh, load, the, the, the set up the routes at runtime based on that using this reset config thing. Okay. So that, that actually helped me out here. The, the router is very flexible, very powerful, but it is also pretty <laughs> steep learning curve to get into all these details uh, from it. Okay, so routing, yes. Uh, I mean, you don't, you, you, you barely read, you, I mean, you don't need routing for like Angular elements, for example, because routing is when Angular is in full control of your entire, the entire page, or else you would be fighting some other frameworks for uh, controlling the push history of the browser. Right. Yeah, and we definitely need, uh something to to wrap but also to retrieve parameters and, and all the different uh, elements of that that belong to the router uh, module framework there yeah okay so my appro approach here for getting going module free uh scams were actually born out of that effort <laughs> and like i said last time it turned out that scams actually resulted in even more modules which was bad right but i was just trying to approach something that would be uh close to have you seen the the depths proposal for component where we go s somewhat back to the rc4 days of angular version 2 where we can list components and directive and pipe dependencies directly in the components decorator factory so we will have we could have a depth property there we could list all the components we're going to use in this components template uh, this is not in any preview or anything like that it's only a proposal so it's on the idea stage from the angular team uh, but i was trying to do that or something very similar because i i wouldn't just sit around waiting for this to happen and, and yeah like it turns out it hasn't happened yet i hope it will at some point but we can use these techniques to try it out uh, without having the actual implementation so scams was the first step that split out the modules into very tiny modules of, of a, just a very s single and very explicit purpose which was just evolving around this one component so you use this other component you imported scam right so the next step was um, it turns out that even if you can do this uh, render component on a single component well What's the use if you can't uh, use any child components in its templates or even project the content? And that's what some people forget when they do these lazy loading of components uh, examples. Well, <laughs> we have a lot more use cases in Angular than just rendering one component. We need child components as well for one. We need styles and so on. Uh, so I. I actually developed this technique in collaboration with uh, Joost Kuhorn, who's an official uh, Angular collaborator. Um, it's this concept called uh, render modules. And the first version was uh, what we ended up calling component render modules. Uh, and let me try to get this right. With component render modules, let's see. 
you how is it it's been some it's been a while <laughs> um there are component render modules there are feature render modules okay i'll try to do the feature render module first because that one i i do remember so with feature render modules you actually only have one angular module per bundle so every component will export simply an array a plain old array which has itself its own name its own type its own class type and it has the types reference to types of all its declarable dependencies as well so when other uh, components want to use this one it'll import uh, this depths array which i call it uh, to remind us of the future to come at some point right depths property it'll import that depths array and it'll add it and re-export it in its own depths array and that bubbles up all the way to the top of this bundle, all the way to the top component of this bundle. So it's a page component or some other routed component. And in that one component, it has a single module which puts in all these declarable dependencies of the whole bundle into a single Angular module, which is usually bad. But in this case, uh, it saves us a lot of modules. And we have something very similar to what I hope we will end up having, this depth property of a component. So that's what we call feature render modules. They actually, uh, they work with uh, AOT compilation, which was very nice. And we can just pass around arrays of declarable dependencies instead of all these modules and decorators and all that. So that's the feature render module. We had uh, an in-between version between scams and feature render modules, which is called the component render module. And it actually, yeah, it declares the component itself. And in that declarations array of the its module, it will also declare, not import, but declare the declarable dependency. So my component here, its component render module will list uh, my component it'll also list matt button and uh, right so my button and all of that so in the declaration so that means we have multiple places in our code where we declare the same components which shouldn't work okay. but it does with this technique so i have a question so you have this array of these dependencies is it up to the developer to make sure that those dependencies are available um, how does that kind of work when you're uh, trying to build something out in this uh, kind of ma uh, manner. The difficult thing, especially with the component render module, is that you you don't get an error if you're missing uh, one declarable dependency. It'll just not be rendered. So you'll just have your empty element sitting there in the DOM. And you're like, where did my app go? I don't have any errors. So that's the downside of that approach. And another downside of the component render modules is you have to include the compiler in your bundles. In your main file, for example, you will import Angular slash compiler because it, it, it basically compiles, uh, the, it, it creates this compilation scope at runtime. So definitely a big downside. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm seeing similarities of uh, the approach in terms of the pattern to, to have these units declare their own dependencies. Um, and if you're building custom packages or libraries to put in NPM, 
you have to list what what the dependencies are when you're doing that as well. And I think that's a it, very, uh, very similar to me when I when when I hear you talk about it, it makes a lot of sense that way. Uh, if you want to see this in practice, I have done a, a couple of talks on this topic. It's called Angular Revisited, uh, Tree Shakeable Components, and Optional NG Modules. So I came up with this concept of tree shakeable components. Uh, they are part of them are what the Angular team now calls standalone components, uh, which means that you can that that is basically you can you can lazy load a component and you can render it without Angular modules. But that's no, just that's just one part of it. There are a few other uh, features. Um, of tree shakeable components, um, which is we also have to manage change detection. So we will have to use this new uh, IB API for, for manually uh, managing the change detection. Uh, the two functions are called mark dirty and detect changes. Uh, there's a lot of work going on with them right now as well. For example, the NGRX slash component package uh, that Michael Latke is building. Uh, with the, the first uh, features in that uh, sub package will be the let directive and the push pipe. Have you heard about them? No. Push pipe? Yes. So, you know the async pipe from Angular. Correct. Yep. It only works with ng-zone. Not everyone is happy about the ng-zone. I mean, it makes easy because it makes angular work magically without you having to think about change detection and optimization of the change detection cycle so it's easy until performance drops then it becomes a pain so if we remove the ng zone which we have had the option to do for a long while with, with setting the ng zone to uh, no op and when you bootstrap your module your main module uh, a lot of things will break and this in particular, the async pipe, it simply doesn't work because in its implementation, it uses change detector ref dot mark for check. The problem with that is it does mark the component as needing dirty checking, but it doesn't schedule a change detection cycle of its own. Uh, that's what ng-sound usually does when you have bindings in your templates when you do an, some interval or timer or AJAX or WebSocket and a few other things. So without the ng-zone, the component will just sit there and be marked as dirty, but it's waiting forever for some change detection cycle to happen. And if there's nothing to kick off that change detection cycle, well, it doesn't work. So the push pipe will be a drop-in replacement for the async pipe, so it'll work in every situation where the async pipe usually works but it'll also work with zoneless applications, so to speak. Ah, interesting. And that could be useful for, for example, Angular elements where you, you don't want to include ng-zone because it's such a huge bundle increase. Yeah, we, uh, the, the application I uh, work on at work, we had 250 items, uh, auction items, so think of auctions, and every time, uh, someone bid on an auction uh, the price the price would change and the amount of time left for a specific auction item would would continually change and depending on how much time was left 
we would display hours, minutes, and even seconds. And so what happened is uh, the, the timers would just kind of freeze. And it's exactly what you're talking about with the zone problem. And uh, we, we had to basically um, disable the zone for that set of data, that component, and then use a, uh, a service worker uh, to, to basically mitigate that. But uh, I'm wondering if the push pipe would be useful in that regard. Uh, well, it it certainly opens up uh, some 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 nice use cases because we have been doing a lot of this reactive programming these last couple of years, and that's where it really has its place. But if you drop the ng zone, <laughs> you can't use the async pipe anymore. So this will help with that. And the other thing was the let directive. The let directive is also used uh, used to. It's kind of related to the async pipe thing. Uh, I bet you have seen a lot of templates where people do ngf some observable pipe it into async and then alias it using the as keyword. Right. So it'll be my list dollar uh, async pipe as my list no dollar. And then when that uh, is not false anymore, the template will render. But now you have conditional rendering doing a lot of checks and DOM structuring and so on, uh, and checks being made at runtime several times for something that'll, you only need that conditional rendering one time. That's until the, the observable uh, emits something initially. Uh, so the let directive will make you do an alias for an uh, observable uh, without that NGF check. And a few other things. So, so it's just a convenience uh, directive for working with observables, which is what NGRX should be all about: the reactive extensions for Angular, right? Right. So I think it's really cool. There are a few other things on the drawing board for that package. So if you use the let directive, uh, you basically would have that one instance of that observable stream that you could reuse in different parts of the the view or the yes. template. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. Without using NGF. Right. and the alias. Okay, so let's get back on track, <laughs> get okay. rid of Angular modules. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Michael Lotke <laughs> and the NGRX component package. Okay, so uh, we have solved some of the problems now. We have solved the view compilation. So for lazy loading a, a component without modules, well, how do you use child components in, in, in that? lazy load components when you don't have modules you don't have that compilation context well you can use feature render modules so you will have one single module for a whole bundle but i think that's a pretty good trade-off and you will get something that's very uh, close to what that depths proposal will give you um, the only thing depths proposal will give you that the feature render module doesn't is it'll also allow you to list modules in your depths but i don't want any modules so that's fine with me <laughs> um, so we can lazy load components with the router it turns out but before that we would just do it with the render component function which is also an experimental api from ivy where you can bootstrap any component anywhere in the dom at runtime and this is enabled by ivy because now every component is 
what we used to mark as entry components. So that means every component can be lazily uh, or can be uh, dynamically rendered now. Every component, you don't have to list it at, as entry components and it can be tree shaked away. That's a pretty big deal in, in these circumstances. So we can do our own kinds of dynamic rendering without the router by utilizing this render component function where you just posit a component, any component really in Ivy. Um, the downside of course is this is experimental so it's still marked with that big or a small theta symbol, symbol the Greek letter uh, theta or theta or however you, you say that. So it's called theta render component. Uh, it's in the Angular core package together with theta detect changes theta mark uh, 30. Yeah thanks for uh, mentioning that because I've seen that and I didn't know how to say that or how someone would represent what that meant. So theta. Okay, good. So uh, learning, learning quite a bit here. So how does how do how do how does the Angular community um, get behind something like this depth proposal? Um, and how does the Angular team really kind of decide whether or not to put it in? Is it based on not so much popularity, but um, how it's going to be used and what it provides, the benefits and things like that. What kind of criteria are they using to make sure it kind of gets in or not? I don't know the details for sure, but I do know that they they do <laughs> listen what, to what's going on in the community, both in public and articles and discussions and so on, stack overflow threads. They also listen to the Angular uh, GDEs, the Google Developer Experts, uh, which are represented by some of our very own community members and there's a lot of them by now like i don't know it's more than 100 definitely 150 maybe uh, but they do listen to them and they uh, in turn listen to the rest of us right so if you have something you want question you want or some feature you want to ask about just go find a, your local angular gd and they can get in touch with the angle team themselves the Angular team also works closely with some major enterprises, so they actually help them out with some issues, and the more of them that talks about these features, well, the more interesting it'll seem to the Angular team, I guess. And then, of course, the biggest scale on the weight is what is Google's own uh, needs for their 2000 Angular apps. That's, of course, pretty big weight or scale on the weight. So uh, so the, the more apps Google gets and the more dynamic they, they get, the, the more interesting these features will uh, become in the prioritization of, prioritization of Angular features. There is a whole bunch of uh, ideas in the floating around in the Angular community, like even old problems that why haven't they been solved yet? Well, let's wait for Ivy and then we can discuss it. So now we have Ivy, so let's discuss it. I mean, maybe you have a few favorite features you have been looking forward to, Matt? Oh, good question. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, uh, a lot of it has been uh, related to dependency injection and the providers and, and scope. Um, and I want to, uh, I want that to be as easy as possible, but um, 
uh, very declarative, I guess, uh, when you're um, implementing those. So sometimes it's it's hard to know if you have multiple providers running when you you're expecting like a single ten, single instance. Um, there's there's ways to kind of protect that. You can you can check for parent and and such, and you can create a base service or a base class that kind of does that for you, and um, you can do it that way. But uh, I, I, it's not that intuitive. And sometimes uh, you might have the assumption you have a single provider, a service running in your application, but you could have multiple instances of it. And depending on what that provider does, it could cause some problems. Um, so I think that would be pretty nice to kind of get squared away. And I think with some of the new um, uh, provided in uh, capabilities probably help, help solve that as well. So injectors have actually changed. Uh, you probably won't notice it, but uh, it could be nice to know uh, something about it anyways. Uh, there's this new article on in-depth, the dev, of course, <laughs> that goes into the details of how injectors work today. Um, so now there's a more advanced injector than before. It's called, uh, one of them is called the, the node injector. So. This, I believe, among other things, this enables us to do to inject dependencies without constructor injection. Ah. We have already been able to do this for for a while in uh, properties, right? Uh, in in maybe in services, maybe components as well. I haven't really used it much, uh, except for in when I do some um, injection tokens or class-based services with custom providers instead of using just the keywords when you you want to use a factor instead well you need some dependencies uh, i did an article about this called tree shakeable dependencies in angular projects a while back and it lists some of these places where we have to use the inject function and one of the goals of the angular team have has been to enable this inject function in more places in your application uh, one of the places it has enabled them now is uh, this concept called, uh, uh, what is it, like uh, component features. Uh, I've written an article about that as well. I have a, a talk that hopefully will be published soon from NG Poland 2019 called uh, Ivy's Hidden Features. Um, component features are mix-ins for uh, and now we're getting sidetracked again, but I think we're, we're almost done with talking about uh, module free and, and all of this. So uh, you're, you're yeah. saying that we could actually do uh, dependency injection at the property level now? I, I did not know we, this. Yes, yeah, so, so yeah, we can. Uh, all right, all right. But also we can, with these component features, uh, we can do mix-ins for components, even for directives in the Angular way. So we can actually construct, or we can can run these mixins at runtime. So we can make them very dynamic, because we also have the the full injector uh, hierarchy available to us using this uh, or something related to the inject function itself, which is called theta theta directive inject. So that'll actually take into account where the com component is in the DOM or in the component tree and which module it's in, so the hierarchy of injectors above it. That's very powerful. I believe we will be seeing some very uh, interesting stuff related to this. Uh, of course, the first issue is, this is another private API. 
the Ivy components are using these component features for almost every component. They are actually using it internally in Angular to mix in life cycles and uh, a few other things. Providers as well, actually. Component level providers are done using component features. So they are mix-ins, Angular's own mix-ins. There are like five of this, these uh, Angular internal uh, component features. Okay. And I, I shown in a talk how we can not only create them ourselves, but actually run them in Ivy ourselves with using just one custom decorator. I just did, I, I, maybe it's not the best one, but it, it works. I'm sure someone can come up with a better solution performance-wise if there are any problems with that. But we can do a very some very interesting stuff with these uh, component features. So keep an eye on out on that talk. There's also an article of this uh, called component features with Ivy or something like that okay. uh, on, on in-depth. And it's about the mix-ins. Okay. Yeah. So, nice. but we that's one place where we can use, utilize this new, uh, more flexible injector hierarchy. Uh, so so the, the inject function is actually aware of which module uh, injector you're in. And this directive inject function is actually aware of where in the DOM you're in because of this node injector uh, that also has been optimized for performance using Bloom filters. So that's that's actually a new hidden gem, a little hidden gem in Ivy. So that'll enable making it easier to do these kind of things. And now we got we already got the, the platform and the any keywords and. It's probably got something to do with this new uh, internal uh, implementation of the injectors in, in Angular. So that's very nice. Okay. So it, is it are they hidden uh, because they're experimental right now, or are they hidden for a specific reason, or what's what's going to be the outcome of that? Okay. So I did ask uh, Minko Getchev. Uh, uh, <laughs> I stole a few minutes of his time. He's also always very busy. Uh, I did ask him him about these component features in particular. Are you going to expose them? It could be very powerful to us uh, developers. And his concern was um, that exposing these internal uh, implementation details of Angular will make it hard, hard to change the framework in the future. So like we saw now with Ivy, uh, they were almost able to retain backwards compatibility with the same API, the same, same templates and injectors and decorators and all of that. If they expose this internal feature, they will have to keep supporting that in every future rewrite or revision, major rendering engine of, of Angular, because you know what? Maybe Ivy is not the final one. That's so uh, uh, that there is a kind of a compromise of that. Uh, yeah. I have told them that well, you can just expose some of the features, not the whole sh uh, the whole thing, and then maybe some use cases will you will need the whole thing with the whole uh, what do they call they're called component definitions that the uh, component features is just one part of. Uh, but we could actually do a lot of good just with getting. Uh, this dynamic injection in the component features and getting access to modifying the component itself before it's being uh, rendered. Okay. That, that could allow some, some powerful stuff. 
So I hope that they will take it into account when they uh, decide what they will be working on for versions yeah. 10 well, 11. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, kind of the thought process there because when you're when you're building, like, you know, when you're doing API development uh, and, and you don't want to introduce breaking changes, uh, you want backward compatibility, things like that. But uh, there's even more... Uh, uh, there's there's more uh, to that when you're building a framework that's really supporting hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of applications out there, and introducing breaking changes uh, could could cause lots of problems. Or uh, if you're having to support it over a long period of time, then it takes away from doing other things that are probably more meaningful. So. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think it's very thoughtful in terms of their approach to um, you know how they decide what what they're going to put in and and what are the next feature sets are for each uh, release so that's uh, yes. it's good to know and it's a good pattern for everyone to really kind of follow as well I think definitely definitely but I did uh, propose this compromise in my article so hopefully they will pick up on that uh, there, uh, a lot, quite a few people are excited about these component features, so it's not just me. Um, okay, so what else? Well, there are a lot of other ideas on the list of the endless backlog of awesome Angular features that we might get in the future. Uh, did you watch the ng-conf uh, keynotes uh, a year ago? Uh, yes, from last year, yeah. From yeah, so there were quite a few interest let's say interesting features uh, dreams and visions for the future of angular and they were about enabling billion user apps using angular um, i i can only imagine who that could be useful for starts with a g um so <laughs> but i think that would be a major bummer is that was the next big thing for the angular team if they were to work another year or two on to to implement this because the angular community's patient is uh, not very high right now because of ivy and the, the last couple of years that ha where ivy has been taking up most of the angular team's time or a lot of it uh, at the very least now we've been told for two years ivy will enable these awesome features so now of course we are looking to not only enable new uh, very nice features but also solve some of the old problems that have been there all along uh, all the parts of angular that are very difficult to do uh, when it comes to dynamic composition of applications uh, which is something they they have told me they will not be enabling we will have to do it ourselves continue doing it ourselves um, when it comes to uh, internationalization with uh, more dynamic translation and um, and loading lazy loading uh, translations uh, at runtime instead of having to bundle them up front with right. the yeah. application bundle that has been actually been enabled now it's difficult to do but there are a few articles out there on how to do it so that's enabled by ivy really awesome it'll only uh, continue to improve in the future uh, one other thing that's high on their priority list is making Angular elements a much better experience. So making it easier to do single bundles, for example. I hope that's, that'll come uh, as part of the Angular CLI. But also just creating very, very small bundles. 
I've been running a few experiments on my own just when Ivy got released because a lot of the talk has been about smaller bundles, smaller bundles, tree shaking. Okay, so now we have Ivy. So what did we get? Was it that good? Do we have very small bundles now? And it turns out we do if we really peel off all the unnecessary layers and get a little experimental. I think I managed to do a Hello Angular World, a Hello World Angular app in about it three or five kilobytes or something like that. And an Angular Elements bundle, uh, gzipped with just a Hello World custom element. Um, was it like eight kilobytes? I may not be remembering that quite right, but it was very small bundles. I did a more realistic or minimal app, but still not just Hello World, actually using some of the Angular features. It was around, what was it like 15 kilobytes for the app, 35 kilobytes for the Angular Elements uh, version of that app or something like that. So yeah. I think that's pretty sweet and yeah. it'll only improve in the future versions of Angular. That's high on their priority list uh, as far as I know. That's something they, they really much want to address. Uh, in future versions. Yeah, I mean, not, not everyone has 4G, 5G kind of speeds. Uh, the, the application that I work on uh, is available internationally, and we have uh, lots of users in different countries that um, we, uh, we know for sure that uh, the, the, the devices that they're on and even the network speeds are, are pretty low. So um, the size of the bundles really makes a difference. In fact, uh, one of my bosses will actually load the app and uh, look at the network and actually uh, total the uh, the size of all the JS bundles. And he'll be like, okay, what are we doing about this? Why are they so big? And I'm like, well, it's not a production build. It's not AOT. Like, here's an AOT. Okay, here's a comparison. And they're like, okay, now we're with, we're within uh, something that's very useful. So he's, he's very sensitive to that because he wants his uh, users um, in different parts of the world to have a good experience. And that's, that's part of that in terms of keeping the, the performance uh, really high there. Yeah. So that actually, that did improve a lot with Ivy. Uh, in the initial versions of Ivy and the preview, it was not very good, So, but a lot changed in these final months. So it's actually, it's already pretty good. It'll continue to improve, uh, especially for the Angular Elements bundles in the future. Right. So Lars, do you think, I guess, overall, these two epic discussions we've had about getting rid of modules and the benefits and how do you do it and what do you get? Are, are you satisfied? Do you, you think you've given enough information to, to kind of really uh, promote the I would have to disappoint you and say the final struggle is actually injectors. Okay. There's no nice way to do injectors with module-free applications right now. We have to set up the injectors kind of manually. So probably there are some patterns for that will turn up or hopefully when the Angular team sees this as an important feature, they will start making it easier to, to do these module-free applications and bundles and libraries and all that. Uh, so the, the injectors is the final struggle, uh, especially these, uh, our favorite provided in uh, annotations, they don't work if you don't bootstrap a module. Right. So 
very dissatisfying to you because you were just talking about making injectors easier. And right now they became they become harder uh, with module free applications. Okay, but more flexible, I guess, if we, if we go that route. Uh, Ivy in itself, yeah, it, it's make the, made the injectors more flexible. So it'll enable some nice use cases, but those use cases will involve NG modules. So okay. two so, sides of the same coin. So your quest is, is not finished. You're, you're going to continue. There's still work to do. Yeah. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll champion the cause. And uh, from time to time, we'll have you come back to the podcast and give us an update on how things are going in, in terms of a module-free lifestyle, right? I have to give one f final shout out to a guy named Chris. I don't know his last name. Uh, he just uh, wrote on Twitter because he just solved the problem of making styles work in these module free applications. And I uh, maybe I never even thought about that. I was focusing on all these other features or maybe they stopped working at some version of Ivy and I didn't I just didn't notice, but he managed to solve it. And that'll be a big win for the, the Angular elements without the full platform, without Angular modules, without Angular zone. So, uh, so shout out to Chris. All right. Yeah, I think, I don't know if I saw that tweet. Was that uh, a day or two ago? Was that yes. A, yes, yeah, I saw that. Well, nice. Well, uh, Lars, I, I, I want to uh, thank you once again for coming on to the Angularlicious podcast and uh, giving us some very insightful information about uh, modules and how they work, with, uh, especially with routing, dependency injection, uh, the, uh, the uh, change detection within zones. We, we talked about that, the compilation, render modules, and uh, that was uh, pretty interesting. So good. I think, uh, I think we uh, got a lot of content in, and I hope uh, that your quest for getting rid of modules is successful. Or, uh, uh, or you're making movements in the community that way. Uh, I, I kind of see uh, a trend in that regard. So um, we'll uh, certainly look forward to that. And I'm interested in that depth proposal for components. So I'm going to try to learn a little bit more about that and uh, see what I can, if I can uh, help out in any uh, regard there as well. That would be uh, that would be good. Okay, so just uh, one parting word. Uh... If you have any questions about any of this, dear listeners, you can go into community.indepth.dev, where we started some discussion uh, forum uh, where we can discuss the articles and just any Angular concept, really. And uh, the in-depth authors are pretty active in there, so there are a lot of experts uh, ready to answer your questions. Great. Yeah, and I'll definitely put that link in the show notes uh, for this uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, I saw that all the many different uh, forums that, that are going, that are active right now. So if uh, you're out there in the community and want to just stay in tune with uh, Angular and, and how Angular works in depth, uh, really check out the, the community.indepth uh, forum. So we'll put the link in the show notes and then also, uh, once again, uh, uh, some other uh, contact information for you, Lars. So Yes, thank you very much. Appreciate uh, having you uh, once again for uh, a second episode, and hopefully there'll be more in the future. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to the Angular Licious Podcast. 
where there's no excuse to get it right the first time. Visit the Angularlicious website, that's angularlicio.us, or for you other people, angularlicious.com. Join the conversation, subscribe, access show notes, and get your bonus content on. Out.